This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Myers delivers this teaching entitled Compromise. This is the second message in the series, Fight Night. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Conflict. It's everywhere in our world. It's in our nation. It's in our politics. It's in our jobs. It's on our roads. It's in our schools. It's in our families. It's in our churches. It's in our marriage. Marcia and I experienced a uh, fair amount of conflict in the uh, first five years, and it just seemed to dominate even for a while after. And I remember two to three years into our marriage, one of the more dramatic ones where we just kind of lost control and it escalated. And not proud of this moment, uh, but she's doing this little sniping thing and uh, pushing all the buttons and, and I'm firing off and erupting. And at one moment, I literally just grabbed her and raised my fist like, you better shut down. And she looks up at me, just that defiance, and she says, go ahead, pastor, hit me. <laughs> and this is how far it went, it's how we were living. I didn't hit her, but that's not a proud moment. But that was a moment when uh, there was a bit of an awakening. And I had to confess, you know, the problem here isn't my dad. It's not my mom, and it's not their divorce. It's not their marriage. It's me. Oh, I knew better. Like all of us, when we talked last week, and I know about the new and improved way to cut through conflict just like the new and improved way to cut through grass. There's the eco-friendly lithium battery. This thing works. As a, but, and, and I knew this. I was telling other people as a pastor. I'm counseling other people. This is the way you cut through conflict. But then when I was home with Marsha alone, I'm using the old school, old, ineffective, useless way to cut through conflict. As we talked last week, the stuff's got to change. And Marsha and I coming into the first decade of our marriage wrote fair fight rules and we had to learn the three habits of healthy relationships they're in your notes let's look at them together and they define where we're going in this series number one close enough to listen jot it down close enough to listen that's where we left off last week change the way you listen then number two clear enough to compromise clear enough to compromise that's where we're going to settle in today number three Committed enough to self-correct. Committed enough to self-correct. Now, let me just tell you this. If you can only do one of those three or two of those three, it won't really matter. Conflict will cut through your relationship rather than you cutting through conflict. you got to be able to do all three. That's why next week is so hugely important in this series. In fact, I think most people know one and two. I think they blow up and where we're going next week. But, but you got to understand, this, not like this is uncomplicated, this is challenging where we're going to, and, and that is clear enough to compromise, meaning that if you did what we talked about last week, if you learned to listen to each other, and if you missed last weekend, you got to get online, get the teaching. You got to change the way you listen, which means you got to do round one, round two, round three, round four. Sometimes you do round one, round two, round one, round two, round one, round two, and then round three, four, three, four, three, four, three, four. I mean, you, and, and, and when you get to the end of that, what you're doing the whole time 
is trying to understand each other well enough that you're clear so that you can move through, toward con, uh, compromise. That's it's just what we're trying to do. In fact, li- literally, I put this in your notes. What do you need to know? It, it, just to kind of get into the details of the notes, what you need to know is this. Real relationship solutions involve compromise. Real relationships, real relationship solutions. I mean, if you're really going to solve the problem and the conflict, it's going to involve compromise. It's going to involve what, everybody? Oh, yeah. And why? I put this in your notes. Because nobody gets everything they want in life. Tell your neighbor right now, nobody gets everything they want in life. Tell your neighbor, nobody gets everything they want in life. Isn't that annoying? When you got married, you thought you'd get everything. You know your spouse got everything because they got you. But you thought you'd get everything. And then God teaches us in Philippians Chapter 2. Let's look at this together. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others. Rather in humility, do what? Value others. Oh my, above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, that means you're not the center of the universe. It's horrifying, isn't it? (laughs) Really? You're going to be the center of the universe. You're going to get married and it's going to be all about you. And that's how we think. And no wonder it's undoing us. Really, you're going to go to work and your whole business and company is going to make it all about you. That's how it's going to work. Your, your, all your ideas, all your convenience, all your preferences, just the way you like work. You, everybody's going to adjust to you. That's how church is going to be. You're going to evaluate church based on how it adjusts to you. They're going to make it all work for you. Did you get something out of it? Were, were you pampered properly? Did, was it helpful to you? Everything get taken care of the way you want? Was your coffee perfect? I mean, just really, it's just going to be all about you. That's what church, and, and, and traffic. My last child, Jaden, he's about three or four years old. And this number fourth child of mine who's about three or four years old was in the car and we pulled out onto traffic. And I coach people. How many of you talk to other people and coach them while you're driving? Hands up. You coach other people. I Get your hand up if it's true. You talk to other people while you're driving. I'm coaching them. They don't even listen. And I'm giving great ideas. I was getting frustrated that day, pulled out in the traffic, and, and apparently I'm coaching people. And Jaden, in the backseat, three or four years old, without even lifting his head, just playing with his toys, kind of yells out, get off my dad's road. <laughs> I don't know where he gets it, but I like it. The road isn't mine. That's why, go right back to Philippians chapter two. Put that back on the screen. See, this isn't just for reading, this is for living. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, do what? Value others. Say it again, do what? Value others. Above yourselves, above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, when Marsha and I wrote Fair Fight Rules, which you will find in the app in the detail Marsha's about to read or online. I didn't put all this in your notes. It's too much, but I want you to listen to what Marsha's about to read. She's not going to teach it. She's just going to read it. And it reminds us how Marsha and I had to learn to put into practice value others above yourselves. These are part of our rules, moving towards solution, compromise. Listen. We agree to set directions for solutions. If we cannot agree on the mutual compromises that will strengthen our relationship and life together, we set another fight night time and continue the process toward agreement. We must stay in the dialogue, regardless the emotional tension. Neither one can leave the ring. 
We agree to resolve conflict as soon as possible, rather than gunny-sack the issue and dump built-up tension. Any harsh words or use of never, always, constitutes a breaking of the rules of communication and the subsequent payment. We cannot bring up old wounds as a means to hurt the other person in the midst of our pain and frustration. If we discover that we come upon another issue, we must call for another fair fight rather than derail the issue at hand, unless mutually agreed to so pursue. Regardless where we are at the time we end the fight, we agree to say I love you and embrace. Fair fights do not lessen our love for one another. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, good luck with all that. <laughs> I mean, you go print those out and put them in front of you, and, and as you move through round one, two, three, four to compromise, work through it. I mean, when we, when we mess those up, and we often did, we just correct and get back on track. I mean, they, because listen, we're moving toward solution. We're moving toward compromise. And this does not lessen our love for one another. We're trying to change the picture of our marriage. Last week, I told you the picture looked like a slingshot when the kid got locked into it. And he said, I changed my mind. I can't do this. And, and, and then he gets launched. And, and, and then he faints and, and wakes up. And ah, I'm still on. And then faints and wakes up again and said, why am I still on this ride? That's how I feel in marriage. I got another picture for you. Same slingshot ride. It's just another couple, an older couple. Guy's about 70. He's a paratrooper. This just entertains me. Listen carefully because there's a lot of wind noise, but it's still worth the new picture. This is what we're trying to get to in marriage. Check it out. applaud them. I do. I don't even know who they are. I'm just like, oh my goodness. Do you see him reach over? You okay, baby? Okay, okay. Did you pee? No, I didn't. I did. <laughs> Wasn't that cool, baby? Yeah, that was cool. Do you want to change the picture of marriage? It's still a thrill ride. And real relationships involve compromise. So what do you do? Jot this down. Serve the other person's interests serve the other person's interests while I solve my own. Don't skip that. The majority of us try and solve problems in relationship by thinking ahead what we want and it solves our problem, our burden, our concern, our interests. But you're not ready to connect and build and resolve what is broken in the conflict unless you have thought about the other person's interests. What I am doing 
in the time between our fair fight conversations on the way to compromise as I'm trying to think about what solves my interests and what serves her interests. And there's no solution until it does both. Many people ask, well, you talked last weekend, you got this between round one, two, three, and four, and you gotta wait, and how long it takes to get a fair fight, could be hours, could be days, could be a week. What do we do in between, and what do we do when this could take weeks, and this could take many weeks, it could take months before we really come to the kind of solution we need. What are you doing the whole time? Listen, the whole time you're doing at least these three things. Let me put them on the screen. I want you to get these down. These are the kinds of things Marsha and I would work on in between. We would pray and ask God, what am I missing? What is my part? What is wise? Am I being foolish? See, listen, while we're doing this, Marsha and I are, 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 are on our own, in between those rounds, and on the way to compromise, because you can't get this all done in one night or one conversation. And, and so once we understand each other and we finish the four rounds and we're moving toward compromise, there's a lot of time in between that. What are we doing? We're asking God, what am I missing? Listen, because sometimes, like if it's a financial problem and I'm blowing our budget, and that's, gonna, that's the conversation, I already know what needs to happen. I need to get a line. We don't have a long compromise. We can't keep spending more than we have. I gotta deal with my need, desire, want for more. By the way, our next series in March, our next series is gonna be on more. How do you get more without having less? It could be a great series. You, we, we all need that conversation. Second thing I'm doing is praying and asking God, help me be loving. Marsha's doing the same thing. Literally, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 8. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 8. Read it. Hear me. Read it. Read it in between. Read it repeatedly. Because what you feed your mind fuels your mouth. I, I want to be loving. Third, put my thoughts together. What do I mean by that? It means I got to be thinking, how do I help serve her interests while I solve mine? And I got to bring those thoughts together. And while we're doing it, it does not lessen our love for the other. Did you hear that? While we're doing it, it does not lessen our love for, for the other. We're, we're we, we, we have to treat each other like we value each other no matter how we feel. Because love, agape love, God's love is a choice. It's a what, everybody? It's a choice. It's not a feeling. Hear me. It's a choice, not a feeling. I can choose to love my spouse. This applies to all relationships. You can choose to value somebody even if you're in an argument. Marsha and I have to choose to love each other, value each other, even if it takes us weeks or months to navigate to a compromise that works for both of us win-win. In other words, I would say that, that agape love is the brownie and the feeling of love is the ice cream. <laughs> I like the feeling, but I don't have to have it. A brownie is really good without it. It is better with it. I prefer to have the feeling of love, but I'm okay with a brownie. Just give me a brownie. <laughs> We've been indoctrinated by a culture that tells us that love is only a feeling and that you should live by your feelings and that authenticity is living by your feelings when the truth is that's immaturity, not authenticity. Hear me. If you have to feel like loving to be loving, you're going to be a mess your whole life. Because love is first and foremost a choice to value somebody and treat them with love and respect, no matter how you feel. And eventually the feelings come. That, men and women, look, that right there is what the new and improved way to cut through conflict is all about. That's why he teaches what he does in Philippians. In other words, listen, when I got mad at Marsha and I raised my fist like I'm going to do something, I had to confess that the problem is within me. Coming to compromise is changing my contents, not changing her. It's changing my what? Contents. Let me say it. It's changing me. 
from the inside out. Here, let me just, let me just give you a picture of it that, 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 that might be helpful. Because what's happening in, in conflict is that, that there's all kinds of shaking and agitation that's going on. So I'll just take two cans here. I'll just shake them. Because that's what conflict does in all really. It does it at work. It does it in traffic. It does it between people. It just drives you nuts. And, and, and then, so what happens is, is with all that agitation, then you burst. Just a second. Make sure you get it And what happens when you get all this agitation is, is, is that you, oh, yeah. and, it, and you go all over. And you went all over because of the agitation that was shaking you. Which, hang on, that did not happen with this one. And why not? Just give me a sec. Oh, I get it. It didn't happen with this one because this one is apple juice. And it did happen with this one because this, oh, what is that? What is that? Oh, I get it. So both of them were equally shaken and agitated. But one erupted all over and one didn't. So it's not the shaking that's the problem, it's the contents. Which means, if you're carbonated with selfishness, you'll go all over because of conflict. And everybody else made you mad when the truth is the problem is not around you, it's where? Within you. And what you're doing in moving toward compromise is changing the contents. Look on the screen at the scripture from Proverbs chapter 15. A gentle response diffuses anger, but a sharp tongue kindles a temper fire. Marsh and I had to memorize that in practice. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh answer stirs up anger. Now, if we can't come to compromise, what do we do next? Marsha, step back on the screen, read it for us. Here's our next. If we can't come to compromise while we're working through this, what do we do? If we discover we cannot come to a wholesome resolve through discussion and prayer and processing over time, we will agree to take it to selected friends for processing. We will not vote on issues through friendships by ganging up. The goal is not right versus wrong with a win-lose motto. The only goal is a win-win. Thank you, honey. Well said. <laughs> that summary was in your notes. Here's what it means. If we can't come to a win-win compromise together, we go to friends. We go to who? Not any friends, trusted friends. I want you to listen to the details, they matter. We cannot talk to our friends about what's going on in our marriage without the permission of our spouse. Cannot. And I have to tell my wife who I'm going to talk to so she can decide whether or not our family can trust those people with that information, no matter what it is. And I tell her what I'm going to tell them, including I give them her perspective and mine, because we've done round one, two, three, and four, and I seek their advice. And she does the same. She goes to friends, and she tells me who, and I agree, and we collect that information so that we can see things we're not seeing. Another rule, no spouse bashing. None. Hear me. 
It is not helpful to you or anyone else to go bash your spouse. All that does is help make you single again. It is not therapy, it's destructive. I don't bash my wife with other people, and I don't let anybody else bash my wife. You want a winning relationship, you go protect that relationship. Going around sitting around a bunch of girls at coffee, a bunch of guys at work or out at the golf course bashing their spouse. What do you think is going to happen when you're done? You're just reinforcing the disrespect that will destroy your relationship. No wonder we're single again. We helped make it happen. No friend bashes another friend's spouse, period. You made an I do for life. You go help each other win. You don't undo each other. That does nothing to help or benefit anybody. And by the way, we can't go talk to family either without permission. You go run to mommy and daddy, go run to brother and sister. Well, I married an idiot. I told you that first thing. (laughs) Well, they're going home and saying, I married an idiot. That's what I told you. So you both married idiots. Now that you know, work on it. (laughs) But if you can't get through it with the help of friends, Marsha, read the next thing we agreed to do in our fair fights. We agree to openly pursue counseling in the event that we cannot come to agreement following the praying and processing assistance with friends. Yeah. We've gone to marriage counselors. Not ashamed of it. But it took great courage. I hate going to marriage counselors. I'll tell you why. Because I'm a little bit of a counselor myself as a pastor and I know what they're doing. It's not that I'm controlling. (laughs) It's not that I don't like... I mean, I don't mind being told what to do. (laughs) But it's a rule. And if friends can't help add insight for us to get to a compromise, and this keeps going, we'll go to a counselor. And we have. We don't quit. Because for us, for us, in our marriage, divorce is not an option. Misery is. (laughs) And we've lived in that quite a bit. But divorce is not an option. So I will tell you the story that was the breakthrough, the most defining story in our history over conflict that broke the back of us being defined by a conflict-based marriage. Many of you know the story of 12 Stone, and it took uh, several years for 12 Stone to get um, any momentum and, and strengthen and stabilize, and so the first seven years of the church, we went financially bankrupt. We could have filed bankruptcy. It was, it was horrific. And so always underwater, always struggling. And, and, and we had Joshua and Julissa. And it was just difficult for us. God, God did his work. But, but as soon as about seventh, eighth year in, when we were starting to like, I could like just get my, my, my nose above water. And oh, that's oxygen. Oh, that, wow. That's what that's like. I, I thought I needed that. Marsha came to me and said, guess what, honey? I think God's stirring something in me. I think we should have a third child. That's like, are you just getting some oxygen? Let me just push you right back down. (laughs) And then she pulls the God card. You know, I think God's leading me. And I'm like, well, God is not leading me. I'm a pastor, and he didn't tell me diddly, so I think you need to go back and have another conversation with God because this ain't happening. Now, I'm making light of it, but we went through this for a year. We even got to friends and we're dialoguing with friends and seriously praying, processing, reflecting, and I'm like, I can't do this. In fact, I had one friend who was incredibly unhealthy. He said, well, you're gonna end up with three kids. I said, well, you're not my friend. So I just moved on. (laughs) And I told my wife, I cannot, I feel like you're asking me to hold my breath underwater for 15 minutes. 
I, I, I honestly, emotionally believe you're trying to kill me. I can't do this. And she said, I don't know how to go forward without one. It's so deep in me. So we ended up going to counseling. And uh, when we met with the counselor, uh, a few, several sessions, at one point he said uh, to me, he said, Kevin, I, I get the idea that you have an incredible fear of failing your kids like your father failed you. And that was the first time Marsha ever heard me uh, curse out loud. Not that it hasn't been in my head many times, uh, but, but actually it's the first time I think in our whole life she ever heard me swear at the counselor. I, mean, I swear it at the counselor. I just, had, we'll leave it. And it wasn't a proud moment. But when we went home, I said, you know what? I think he did trigger something. And eventually I was able to articulate the last 10%. I said, Marsha, I can't agree to have a third child because I know what'll happen. We'll say yes to the third child, and then when the child's born, you're gonna say, oh, I need a van, a minivan too, because my car isn't big enough. And they're gonna say, I need more stuff. And they're gonna say, well, I need a bigger house. This house won't serve a family of five. And you, you will just want more, 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 and we'll end up with less and less life. And I will begin to resent you, the kids, and I will hate life. And I will die while you live. She reflected on that, came back and said, you know what, I get that. That is really fair. I'll tell you what, we'll make the child the treasure and I won't ask for anything. We'll stay in this house. I said, you know what, I love you, but I don't trust you. I said, honestly, I think when we get there, you'll put the pressure on me and you'll make me feel like less of a man for a lifestyle I can't afford. And I don't want that kind of bitterness in me and resentment. We are now three years into one conflict that we can't compromise on. And she came to me and said, honey, I've wrestled through Ephesians chapter five. It said, wives, honor your husbands. I think you're the head of the household. My best answer to this compromise because it's undermining the strength of our joy is that I need to yield this to you. If God's not talking to you, then I'm done. I'm gonna lay this down. We'll never have a third child. It's all done. However, I will need time emotionally to recover. And I said, honey, I am so proud of you. Thank you. We hug, love, kiss. I went to my time with the Lord, and I said, thank you, God, for growing up my wife. I mean, that is, I am so proud of her. And God says, what about you? And I said, I'm, all, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. He said, well, why don't you go back to Ephesians 5? Do you ever have God prompt something like, I don't think I want to read that again. We go over to Ephesians 5. He said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and sacrificed for her. So if you're the lead, you should lead the way in sacrifice. I'm like, where's my black highlighter? I have got to get rid of that stuff. So I came back to my wife and I said, honey, what you did is so monumentally serving. It's just a monumental serving. And God has required me to serve you. So we're gonna have a third child. And lo and behold, a year later, we got Jake, number three. And just to prove that God is sovereign, nine years later, he gave us Jaden and I don't wanna talk about it. So anyhow. <laughs> So here's the question. If you're gonna navigate a compromise, what do you practically need to do to get there? So I sat down with Dr. Les and Dr. Leslie Parrott for a little interview to bring you in on the insights of people who've been helping thousands of couples, and I think this can practically help you. So here's the interview, take notes and get some help. I'm sitting here with Dr. Les and Dr. Leslie Parrott, and thank you so much for the great conference this weekend, and I wanted to 
to bring you into the life of 12 Stone for the teaching. I just finished talking about compromise, that nobody gets life on their terms. Nobody gets their way all the time. Right. So while we're talking about compromise, before you take your great expertise as marriage counselors and clinicians, would you take this personal? In your own marriage, tell us about a time when you had to compromise, you, you had to give in, give Within up. Within the last a little 30 bit. minutes or <laughs> going back into a relationship? You know what? Yeah. We'll take any time. We figured that by now you don't have to compromise at all, yeah. right? After well, enough years together, yeah, right. we got it all. You've got it all figured out. Right. You have the perfect marriage. I am I'm gonna absolutely answer your question, but I have to tell you, because I know you think I make this up that this is my favorite church on the planet, 12 Stone. Oh, we have time for you to say that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite no church, too. No compromising that message, no, and right? I've, I've said yeah. it publicly all over the place, and I go to a lot of awesome churches. There's other great churches. I just love the spirit yeah. of this church more. And the only problem, like I've said, is that you're not in Seattle where yes. we live. But well, uh, just relocate to God's yeah. country here <laughs> and, and join oh, in the effort. So no compromise yeah. required there. Well, I <laughs> yeah. And I have to tell you, Compromising was an immediate issue for us in our married life. I mean, right away, because one of the things that Les asked me to promise him before we got married, and oh, I did with yes. great confidence that I could keep the promise, right. we were going to lead a really healthy lifestyle, including I promised I would never be a coffee drinker. And we started dating when we were in, in high school. High school. Yeah, young. And we were in college, and we got we got engaged. We didn't get married till after college. But I, I was back then. All we had was Folgers coffee, and nobody thought that was too much to give up. So I was like, "Sure, we're going to be healthy together. I'll never drink coffee." Soon after we got married, though, we I took a job working in a great office on campus, and one of as the you know lowest person on the totem pole, I was the coffee maker. Well, this was California, and we I went to the coffee bean and fused it with vanilla beans and. I had to taste it to make sure it was good to serve. and She didn't keep her promise. No, I didn't keep yeah. my promise. Right. And eventually I started ordering it at restaurants. And then one day I snuck a coffee maker into our house because we had to have it to entertain. Oh. Yeah. And you, you. And I've always called it Satan's syrup. Yeah. Heaven forbid. Like, yes, oh my goodness. Right. Seriously. Yes. Well, you had to be serious <laughs> no, about it if you were making a heart, promise. But, yeah. Very well, few prenuptials <laughs> have no coffee. Yes. Well, you never liked the way it felt like your parents couldn't even the yeah, day. it was like, how can yeah. you, you're so dependent on coffee just yeah. to get going in the morning. I thought, I never want to be like that. I, and so it was just a, a thing in it was. It didn't matter, but yeah, I had made the promise, and I couldn't keep the promise. I wasn't even willing to keep the promise. Well, and I'll tell you this. <laughs> one of our worst fights that we had in our marriage uh, was when they brought Starbucks into O'Hare Airport for the very first yep. time, because we travel through O'Hare yes. a lot. And Leslie said, this is going to be awesome. Let's go to Starbucks. And so I thought, okay, you know, and so we, and we're standing in line and then I realized they, you know, they hijacked the prices in the airport. Of course. And I'm standing there going, look at this. This is ridiculous. This is highway robbery. We're not going to do this. Exactly. And, and so, you, and I walked away. Yeah. You I said, abandoned not, me yes. in line and yes. I stood my ground. And eventually, oh, that's funny. and I went out, I remember, yeah. I can remember this like it was yesterday. I was looking through the windows. This is years ago. I was looking through the window at all the flights coming and going. And I thought, Parrot, what are you doing? It's a cup of coffee. Relax, get right. over yourself. You're, and, and it really became something, I began to celebrate that with her. I know she loves that, 
And really, he did more of the compromising because I don't go a day without a triple shot latte. And he yeah. really has embraced that about me. <laughs> yeah. He's embraced that yeah. about me. And I feel cherished because I know it wouldn't have been his value, the money or the actual yeah. coffee. And yet, you were able to expand and change for so, me. So that's a little thing, right? Coffee, yeah, but, but, it's a, we, but it's a good one. And we have compromises on little things. Yeah. And, then, and then bigger things. I think one of our biggest things has been schedules. Our travel schedule. Yeah, yeah because, I mean, and every couple gets it. Time is precious. Right. And, you know, we're parenting. We're in a season where we have, right now, a 14-year-old and an 18-year-old. And I know that is going to pass me by. Right. So I am jealously guarding my time at home. And so every yes that we give is a huge compromise for both of us. You yeah. say no more often. In fact, if anything ever cancels, Les says to me, you prayed against this, didn't you? <laughs> but the truth is, you are not a morning person. Les is a night out, but he has agreed for every trip we actually take, you get up. Our agreement we is... We get the very first flight out of town. We're out if, of Dodge if, as soon as we can get out. If the first flight is at 4 a.m., we're on it because I want to be home and take my kids to church and worship yeah. together on Sunday. So we've had a lot. So that's a, a bigger lot. one. That's bigger than coffee for us. It changes that your has, lifestyle. But yes. I, I love this concept that you're working with in this message because compromise is so central to fulfillment in life. Right. It is. Because you don't get your way in life. And so learning to compromise and finding that win-win and right. bending like a palm tree to compromise for your spouse, that's one of the great gifts and blessings that you give each other. Well, and finding sort of joy in honoring someone else's deep desires, yeah. um, which is... which is when that, when It's something that you wouldn't necessarily choose. Right. That kind of love is different because it costs you something and it lets them know that they're prized because you're only doing it out of a commitment yeah. to them. Oh, I like that. That's really good. I'm, I'm taking notes on that. I hope the rest of you are too. What's the biggest selling? compromise that, you've made in your marriage? <laughs> you know, I think the biggest compromise was Marsha not being in this interview with you. Oh. How's that? <laughs> totally not true, because I'm getting back to you. So, let's jump. You guys work with literally thousands of people and you have for years, add it all up, it's in the hundreds of thousands that you stand in front of. So I jotted down a couple of things. What are some of the most common areas where marriages struggle to compromise? Mm -hmm. I mean, people draw a line and they say, I'm not right. compromised. Where do people tend to struggle the most in your experience? Because as you talk about this as therapists and people working right. lives with people, uh, the rest of us listening might help us say, oh yeah, that's, so, I'm not alone. Yeah, so many things come to mind. We mm -hmm. compromise on, are we gonna open up our Christmas presents on Christmas morning or or Christmas Eve. I mean, from that kind of routine Which is stuff. one little example of compromising on things that fit your experience growing up. Right. Your way of life that you bring into marriage. Are we going to spend Christmas with your family or my family? Yes. All those kinds of things. Early on in marriage, lots of compromising right. on that kind of stuff. But the very first thing that comes to my mind, I don't know about you, but it's money. Mm -hmm. I mean, because money represents control and power in a relationship. And, and dreams and you, influence. Yes. And <laughs> so if you can't learn to compromise on financial mm -hmm. stuff in your marriage, you're you're gonna have a tough row ahead. It's tough. Yeah, and it has to do with it has to do with how much you have, but also just your your personality and right. like 
and I'm a I'm a money avoider. And yeah, I call so, her a money monk. Like it doesn't exist in her world. So right? you have to really pull what does me that in. Mean? That I just don't. I you know. You don't want to deal. I don't want to deal with it. I'd rather life be spiritual. You know. And so <laughs> she's so spiritual. You know. <laughs> but but I know it's not. I know that there's also the pragmatics of money as a great resource. You know, I remember like one day not too long ago she came home with this incredibly gorgeous uh, tomato. It was huge. And I said, that's incredible. I said, how much was that? She goes, I don't know. So of course I go to the receipt in the grocery bag and it was like, I don't know, some ungodly price. An heirloom tomato from Whole Foods. It was crazy. Which is whole paycheck. And and, and that's what I mean by a money monk. She doesn't care. Yeah. And it's not like she's a spender. Not a spender, but it's just irrelevant. Yes. So So do you just let that go? (laughs) No, I don't let that go. Because money doesn't exist in your world. Yeah, Yeah. I'm not a money monk. Okay, so do you tell people, make a budget, stick to it? Do you tell people, let the more uh, money, uh, attentive, pragmatic person be in charge? I mean, how do you... Well, first, That's a good of, question. first of all, you got to find out, you know, everybody knows whether they're a saver or a spender. Right. I'm a saver, and you're really neither. No. i got to say, I think it's that third option. It's just yeah. like money doesn't... It's not uh, like a filter for you. Right. Uh, but find that out, and then, yeah, you figure out what do we need to make this relationship work so I feel like my needs are getting met financially, that I'm making the decisions that I want to, and what are the things that we need to both compromise on to make money work for us. And I think a lot of it is almost your autobiography with money because you have to understand what has shaped your attitudes toward money a little bit because sometimes people come yeah. into marriage and they feel insecure because money was scarce or yeah. you know, um, or they feel like it's connected to your value because if you're a person of value, you're earning great. You know, incomes. And, and, and couples typically don't have money problems. They have marriage problems right. that involve money, right? It's, it's, it's what your message is all about. It's all about compromise right. and learning how to do this together as a team. Yeah. Because the things I would do on my own with money are different than what we do together. Well, and I think you have to trust something, and that is that what I want seems so right to me, but actually if I allow myself to be influenced by you, yeah. the outcome is way better than just what I wanted. Yeah. And, and believe that. Vacations, that's another big compromise oh, for couples, you know? <laughs> and some people's dream vacation is very relaxing and by a beach and others is go, 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 and let's run a Harley and let's get out of here, you know, and do something. I think God's yeah. in the ladder. Yeah, yeah I <laughs> exactly. think Literally, I am mountains and motorcycles and Marsha is sun and beach. Oh. And we are opposites. Marsha, I'm we your soulmate. Are you? See, we, we have learned yeah. how to almost, at times, trade vacations yeah. until we could get on the Which same is a page. great example I'm sitting compromise. in the sun, hating it, reading a book, yeah. thinking I'm sticky, I'm sweaty, why am why I here? Why would people choose I look this? At her, I'm I doing love nothing. You. That's why I'm yes. here. Yes, I love that. I think that. that's a great example. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of our friends Jim and Joy. You probably yes. know the name uh, Jim Zorn, used to play yeah. quarterback in Seattle, and uh, they just went on a vacation right. to Europe. They're very good friends, and he did. He rented a, a he motorcycle. He loves motorcycles, not her thing, but she is from England, She's from Europe, and so she loved Europe. So what they did was they compromised. They right. did a motorcycle tour in Europe. Yeah. yeah. And, and she loved was, it. She and they both that. said it was the best vacation they've ever had. In fact, maybe while Marsha's listening to this, <laughs> it could be a, 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 a Holy Spirit prompt yeah. Yeah. for us. Or, right? or, or it could trip. just be you. Yeah. <laughs> now, how are you helping me? <laughs> Sorry, man. Well, Sorry. And, and, and speaking of vacations and money and compromise, because I... One of my good friends was saying that she, her dream was to have just a hotel room for one quiet night by herself because she takes care of a special needs child who 
is very demanding. And when her husband saw how much it would cost for the overnight, he was like, that's crazy amounts of money. And she said, you're spending more than that on snowboarding this weekend and just for a lift ticket. And he said, yeah, but I'm doing something. Yeah. And that's the point is, yeah. you know, to him, relaxing alone in a hotel room was not doing anything. Um, and right. they had to find a way to value both. Because we bring our own frame of reference yeah. to whatever it is. So doing yes. something doing is something. different to yeah. each yeah. person. You I have mean, to learn each other. Right. Relaxing on the beach might be doing something great. In fact, I'm sure it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you each get one response to this. All right. We'll wrap with this. But you know that people learn to compromise like you've suggested in this conversation, but then they hit these ones where I'm not compromising. Yeah. I, I'm not doing it. If you could say something to the people who are stuck and they just can't come, and I know it can be more complex than yeah. what you can say, but if you each offered a word and people were listening right now and, and you said, okay, I want to give you just some advice when you're stuck and you can't compromise, what piece of advice would in a each single of you word? offer? No, you can oh, give okay. a sentence or a paragraph. <laughs> Well, I do come up with a word, and that word is empathy. Mm -hmm. I, I think that that does more for your capacity to compromise than nearly anything, minus the Holy Spirit in your life. When you're feeling stuck. When you're feeling stuck, yeah. because when you begin to look at the world through the other person's eyes and imagine what life must be mm -hmm. like to be lived in their skin, suddenly you have more grace, you have more patience, you have more compassion, and you begin to compromise. Because it's like, oh, yeah, I, I haven't looked at it from her side mm -hmm. before. So that's what I would wish. I, you know, empathy is, it's difficult to exaggerate the power of empathy in a relationship. What comes to your yeah, mind? Yeah, and, and it requires that you know yourself and where you're standing and temporarily set yourself aside and really enter in and yeah, understand where your spouse is standing. to set your, your agenda aside, because we all have an agenda, yeah. right? And that's what compromise is about, is saying, hey, I'm gonna take right. my agenda and set it aside for a moment to make sure I understand yours first. Um, and my answer instantly had to do with what goes on inside that prepares you for those stuck places. And it's all about grace, an abundance of grace. And it's all about prayer. Because I think a lot of what happens, happens inside us as we prepare ourselves to sort of navigate relationship moments where we're stuck. And, yes. and it really there really is a place of softening our hearts toward one another. And here's the interesting thing about that to me is that when you begin to change or one person in the relationship yeah. changes, you know, our marriage is, it's kind of like a, an you know, it's the equilibrium of a mobile that hangs from the ceiling. Right. And it's just sitting there and it looks kind of static until one piece changes and then it has to find its new balance. Same thing happens when yeah. you feel stuck. It only takes one person to help that whole relationship get unstuck because when they change, you do have to find a new dance mm -hmm. together, a new balance. Yeah. Well, that's part of what we get to do from this series, but really also from your books. I would encourage 12 stoners, and you don't need me to say this for your sake, but 12 stoners do, to pick up your book bundle. I think that sometimes picking up a book as a couple, reading through it and getting some help from people who are ahead of you can make all the difference in the world. Well, there you go, 12 stoners. You see why I compromise. say this is my favorite church than what you recommend <laughs> and, my books. And we are, thank you. We you appreciate bet. it, folks. You bet. Yeah. Such great teaching. Oh, such good teaching. I tell you what, as I listen to that message, there's just certain things occur to me, and I think that one of the big stumbling blocks I have in getting to that point of compromise is that I end up viewing my spouse as, well, the source of my conflict rather than the one that I love. 
And if I could just change my perspective, then I could get maybe to that point where Kevin was talking about in Philippians chapter 2. Let's throw that up on the screen. You know, that do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. You see, that's where I want to be. But sometimes there's this, this big gap, and I, I think if I could just change my perspective. And so we thought it would be uh, good at the end of the service to help with that perspective change for us. And, and so we're going to have a time of worship, and we're going to take the offering during that time too. And so if you're visiting with us, we want you to know that you're under no obligation to give. 12 Stone Family, you know how to honor God with the gifts of your tithes and your offerings. You're so generous. You know that, that the offering is really more than just a charitable gift, but it's an act of, of worship. And so in a moment, the ushers are going to come forward. But what I want to invite you into is a, a time of, of worship, of resetting. Because here's what I know. I can't love my spouse like I... Philippians chapter 2, without knowing and experiencing the author and the creator of love. You see, God set the ultimate example for us in how to handle conflict because the ultimate conflict is the conflict that you and I have with God. And while we were still sinners, while we were still in conflict, God walked towards us. It wasn't his fault it wasn't necessarily his problem, but he took the responsibility to walk towards us to have reconciliation. And honestly, that's what makes a difference in our marriage, when we're willing to walk towards the one that we love rather than view them as the source of our conflict. But that comes when we experience the author and the creator of love. So we're going to have this time of worship. And, and, and it's a chance for you to really, maybe you're standing next to your spouse, you want to grab their hand or something, but really you're saying, Lord, I want to see you first. I want to know you first. And then I know I'll be able to love my spouse well. I know I'll be able to handle conflict in my relationships better. So as the offering comes forward, I'm going to invite the ushers to go ahead and come forward. Now, band's going to lead us in worship. When the offering basket's passed, go ahead and stand up. Let's engage wholeheartedly in worship, and then I'll come back up and we'll close this out. <laughs> 